0: morning everybody morning. that is good I couldn't help thinking this morning when I walked in last week I had the privilege of speaking at a very old Methodist Church now the thing about Methodist churches is they have a, a big platform that sort of goes up at the front of the, the church and right in the middle of the platform is the organ the organ was everything when they sang those great old Methodist hymns. And the preacher kind of gets to preach down here somewhere. I walk in this morning, what is central (laughs) to the church? (laughs) And And, And the preacher, you can preach wherever you can find room. I love it. Well, let me... This has got nothing to do with what we're talking about, but Lynn and I watched a documentary yesterday on the chaos that's happening amongst a lot of our mega-churches. I need to tell you, this was a very, very good documentary. It wasn't cynical. wasn't nasty. It was just looking at the reality of what's happened at Hillsong and what's happened in a lot of these big churches and the lines that have been crossed in all sorts of ways... And this young fellow who spent 10 years in a Pentecostal environment and now has kind of walked away from faith looked at all of this through the lives of a few people, some of whom have walked away, lovely people, some of whom are still involved in in other churches very differently. And I won't go into it all, but one of the things that he said right at the end, which really quite moved me, he stood in this massive, big, church which he once worshipped in which was thriving with loud music and noise and smoke and TV screens and all of that sort of stuff he said what do we do with all of this he said I'm here today to tell you it's not for me I thought that's sad he said but it is for a lot of other people and he said to the church, can I just say this? You've got to do it better. Now, do you know what? He wasn't saying we need to do better shows, better performances, better music, better smoke and bells and whistles. He was saying we need to do people better. Because that's what church is. That kind of really moved me. I thought, we're starting a. A thing on mission, and here's this ringing in the back of my mind, we need to do church better, that means when we do mission, what are we thinking about? I have to tell you, I'm glad I'm opening this series because Swanny can pick up all the pieces and clean up all the mess (laughs) and sort out all the problems I'm going to create because I'm not really interested in giving you methods of evangelism. See, the good part about it is I'm too old now. I've seen most of those methods and they don't work. But people still need people and they still need Jesus. Now, preaching on mission, when, when Swanee, I, I, he contacted me and said, by the way, do you mind opening the message, the series on uh, mission? I'd already prepared a sermon. So I thought I'll test him out and said, look, I've already prepared a sermon but I'm happy to do it if you want. He sends a message back saying, good, you're doing a sermon on mission. (laughs) And I thought, when I started to think about mission, I mean, I've been preaching about this for 40 years, but when you think about mission, it's a bit like preaching on love, isn't it? I mean, it's uncomplicated, but it's not. Isn't that true? I mean, where do I start and where do I finish talking about mission? Where do I start and where do I finish talking about love? Do you you know when you're in love? Oh, dear. (laughs) Just a nod would be helpful. Thank you. Was that you? Very good, Dan. I love you, too. You know, it's fascinating, isn't it? You know when you're in love, but you know that love gets messy, it gets complicated, and at times you wonder whether you're still in love and all that kind of stuff. Mission is like that. Mission is not complicated, but it is, and it's messy. And so what I want you to do is go away today with this this little phrase tucked away in your head. It's called Missio Dei missio day now i know we're all greek scholars that means missio day what do you think it means the mission of something mission of god the something is god (laughs) listen i'm gonna say what i say today in this framework take notice of this if you can the church didn't come up with the idea of mission The church came into being because of mission. Got that? So we haven't come this morning and say, Well, wow, we've got a mission. The church has got it. No, no. We are here because God was on mission and brought us into being. Listen, here's where it even gets tricky. We don't even have this thing called mission because we have a Bible. We have a Bible because there's this thing called mission. In other words, God went on mission and created his people and then he gave them his word and said, you who are on Missio day, the mission of God, here's what I want you to think, here's what I want you to say, here's what I want you to be as people when you go out on my mission. I think that is entirely different than the church taking this high moral ground that says, we're out to get the Indians. No, we're not. We are recipients of God being on mission. Now, I'm just going to read a few verses just so you get an idea of what I'm talking about here. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, way back there in Genesis, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I'll show you and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you." That's pretty extensive. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) Are you rebelling? Oh, you're having technical hiccup. I told you mission gets messy. (laughs) All right, then over in Isaiah chapter 49, I love this. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob, bring back those of Israel I've kept? I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach, say it with me, to the ends of the earth i love that now let's go over to matthew which was the verse that swanny said he wanted me to preach on (laughs) bless him then jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. You can leave that there, Darren. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. Can I be uh, as audacious to say that if we're going to learn some things about Mission, we probably need to unlearn some things first which is always the case when Jesus said uh, go into all the world we've kind of made that sound like it's a little bit unique and exceptional in fact the early Christians even gave this verse the title of the Great Commission Jesus didn't say that so it's like this commission became great with a big G and it became the touchstone for those who went out in on ministry or mission, those who crossed cultural barriers or linguistic boundaries. Go with a capital G. It's like this is something special. And it was Erwin McManus, I think, in his book, An Unstoppable Force, who made this comment. He said, we have made a mistake of making heroes out of those who were simply living the normal Christian life. I find that very challenging. We make heroes out of people who are just living the normal Christian life. Here's the normal Christian life that Jesus gave. Uh, Take up your cross daily and follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men If we try to save our lives, we'll lose them. But if we lose our lives for his sake, we'll find them. That's kind of the normal Christian life, taking up a cross, taking up the challenge of the day, following Jesus. And wherever we go, we are seeking to offer our life to show something of God's love and his salvation that's come to us through Jesus. You know the without getting tricky, the Greek tense of this verse, where it says "Go," really means "as you go," or "as you are going." This is "going with a small G. So from today onwards, I don't want you to refer to this as the Great Commission. I want you to refer to this as the small G going. Doesn't sound as good, does it? You know, I'm part of the small G going. But what it's really saying is, as you go, as who goes? Well, all of us who, who, who share something of the Missio day, the, the heart of God for the world, as you go, where do we go? That's not the issue. Doesn't matter whether you go to China or Uzbekistan or whether you go back to Clarence Gardens, he's saying, as you go, bear witness to me. Look, one of the things we've got to understand is that life is constantly about crossing borders. You don't have to cross oceans. Tell me if some of the hardest people to live out our faith and our joy of our salvation with can be members of our own family can't they? Sometimes the hardest people to do mission towards can be just across the street sometimes the hardest place is where we've already been and perhaps haven't done so well maybe the hardest place is people you know I find it a lot easier to share my life and my faith with people I don't know. Sometimes the hardest place is to go to people you don't like, you don't agree with and you don't understand. As you go, make disciples. Can I say this is primarily not about getting people to do a 10-week discipleship course? (laughs) Please tell me you've discovered, if you've been a Christian long enough, that discipleship is a very, very slow process. Got that? You know, salvation can happen in an instant. Depth happens slowly. Growth happens slowly. We need to own up as a church that it's much easier to run a Bible study than it is to disciple people. And we'll come back to this later. When we talk about it getting a bit messy, messy rather, but it's a lot easier to give people information about how to live the Christian life than it is to walk with them when they find it difficult to live the Christian life. Or when they fail miserably. Or when we find out they're struggling with their sexuality or they're struggling in their marriage or they have problems they shouldn't have because they're now a Christian and and all this kind of stuff. To walk this rugged, confusing, frightening uh, journey of life with people is what discipleship's all about. Not giving them a certificate at the end of a course. One of the things I used to love to do with my dad, I don't know if he loved it, but he would stand still. As a little boy, I'd stand on his feet. Now, I wouldn't let my kids do it because I've got a brand new pair of shoes on today and they might get them messed up. (laughs) But uh, I would stand on his feet and he'd wrap his arms around me and we would walk around the house like this and we would waddle all over the place and I loved it because I'm hanging on to my dad and wherever he's going I'm going I've got a new definition of discipleship for you it's waddling together you like it? we might try it afterwards Dan I'll step on your feet, you're not stepping on mine that's good, you got that? waddling together it's stilted sometimes it doesn't even feel like we're getting anywhere sometimes it feels awkward you think is this the Christian life and we're hanging on to each other and we're learning to walk with Jesus that's what Jesus is saying He's saying, as you go, who goes? Anybody, as long as you've got the heart of God. Where you going, doesn't matter where you go, but wherever you go, show something of my salvation and my life and my love and learn to waddle together and grow each other in faith. Man, I can be part of that. Why? Oh, what a whirl. Inevitably, and this is where we start getting messy with mission. Inevitably, no matter what our heart is, we find there's some barriers that we come up against when we want to reach out to people, to our world, to our family, to our neighbours. I think everybody here knows our living arrangements. At Morfordville, we have a little commune in case anybody hears this online, my daughter and a husband and three kids live next door, and my other daughter lives next door there, and Madison lived there for a while before she got married, and so on. So we got this little commune. And when we were building those houses, uh, we put in what is called good neighbour fencing. Good neighbour fencing. I'm not sure why they call it good neighbour fencing because you put up a six-foot-high fence and it ought to be called no-neighbour fencing. In fact, some people built a house out the back of us just recently and he came over and said, ''Do you mind if I put a new fence across the back?'' I said, ''No, not if you're paying for it.'' He said, ''No, I'll pay for it.'' He said, ''The current one's too low.'' He said, ''I can see you.'' (laughs) I said, ''Well, you can build a 20-foot-high fence. I don't want to see you either.'' Good neighbour fencing keeps the neighbours out. You know, there's something about all of us that likes to build a little castle and we retreat into our castle and we keep the world out. Be honest. We probably need it sometimes. Jesus needs to sneak away every now and then. But we build a little castle. Everybody that hears about our little commune down there, one of the first things they say is, did you put any gates in? (laughs) I said, yeah, we put some gates in. Do you know what a gate is? A gate's when you poke a hole in the fence. That's all it is. And gates are dangerous because you never know who's going to come through the gate. And we leave our gate open sometimes and Beck and Gab's dog comes through the gate and does his business on our lawn. But I'll tell you what else happens through that gate. Sometimes one of our grandchildren come in and they'll give you a hug. And you say, oh, what's going on? They'll say, nothing. Just want to give you a hug. Or they'll come in in tears and they'll tell you something's going wrong. And they want to tell their nanny or their pa. Or they'll come and tell you about their boyfriend. That's Piper. <laughs> or they'll, they'll want to come and tell you something that's... They're worried about Hear what I'm saying? You've got to poke a hole in the fence before you can start sharing lives together. But a gate is dangerous. You know, the uncomplicated version of mission is poking a hole in fences. I'll give you a new definition of mission again this morning. Poking holes in fences. We have a world that's neatly shut away. How can we poke a hole and be ready for unexpected people to come through the gate? Now, here's where I've done the first half. Here's where I just want to give you three obstacles that cause a problem for poking holes in fences and for going and being involved in God's heart and God's mission if you're taking notes the first one is this barrier or this fence of time or to put it more bluntly busyness just just so I'm not missing the mark here is every one of you feeling the tension of time you got it there's it few of you here that haven't got much time left so you're not worried about time <laughs> <laughs> Well, i just thought i'd put that out there Time's getting shorter, yeah. <laughs> i'm very aware of my mortality now that i'm 70 but here's the deal even honestly in this day and age even if you're old we're feeling the pressure of time we're feeling the pressure of other people's time we're feeling the pressure we turn the tv on the whole world seems to be imploding on us and we don't seem to have enough time to accomplish anything young or old john connor who wrote the book the ruthless elimination of hurry said this Cory ten boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin he'll make you busy you know here's the problem with being busy when you're in a hurry you become insular think about that. Is that true when you're in a hurry what are you thinking about what you got to do Where you got to go how little time you've got to do it so you are focused on getting it done how on earth does God the missio day break into hurry Sorry, I'm waking the babies up there. I'll try and tone it down a bit. You know, if you think about the story of the Good Samaritan, and I might be totally wrong here, uh, but I often wonder whether that story... By the way, we call it the Good Samaritan. We've done it again, haven't we? Why do we call it the Good Samaritan? Jesus never called him a Good Samaritan. He called him a Samaritan. We put the adjective there, it's not necessary, in fact, it's not helpful because the point of that story is he was, not that he was good, but he was a Samaritan and he was the most unlikely person to help that Jewish young man who was bloodied and bruised and broken on the side of the road. But we put good in front of it to make it sound like, well, there's something about being good that God loves. No, the truth of that story is God loves Samaritans. But here's the story. Here's this guy on the side of the road, and the priest and the Levite go past, and we assume they didn't care. They didn't love that bloke and they didn't care enough. Do you know, why I suspect they were too busy? Because the Bible actually says they're on their way to Jerusalem. Do you know what was at Jerusalem? Synagogue. Do you know what happened in Jerusalem? Everything. And the priest and the Levite had key roles in everything that happened in Jerusalem. And so when they see this knee down here, they think, oh, man, Jerusalem or this? And it's Jerusalem. I want you to hear those words run around your head this week. Jerusalem or this? See, I don't think their problem was they didn't care, I think. They were insular. They were focused. Maybe the first barrier to poking holes in the fence and making a difference in our world, whether it's across the street, whether it's to a family member or whatever, is to slow down to a point we can actually do life with them instead of have a message for them. I've got a couple of suggestions for you when I was thinking about how to slow down. Now, remember, the preacher only has to preach this, he doesn't have to do it. <laughs> so, here's a couple of suggestions for you. This week, when you're in busy traffic, get in the slow lane. You with me? Did I hear a comment? told you i'm preaching it this morning <laughs> get in the slow lane remember neil said on sunday there's this great big line of traffic and i can go out there and zoom down there and put my flicker on and get in there and get stressed and everybody toots the ho-. get in the slow lane and when you get there say lord i'm here <laughs> when you go into the shop into the supermarket Instead of looking for the register that's got nobody in it, go to the register that's got four people waiting with trolley loads full of food and line up. You can't do it, can you? Remember that you have this thing called destinationitis. You know what that is? That simply says that where you're going is more important than where you are. It simply says that I can't focus on what I'm doing at 10 o'clock because I'm thinking about 11 o'clock. We just get itchy. And we can't slow down and say, I'm here. God, what do you want me to do here? How do I poke a hole in the fence here? What do you want to teach me about your heart here? Right now, I'm not going anywhere. You know, Eli came to me yesterday. Most of you know young Eli. Sorry, it was Friday and I was taking him to school. And he said, where are you going, Pa? I said, I'm going down Shakespeare Avenue. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, how come you know the street names? I said, what do you mean? I said, I'm driving down Shakespeare Avenue. He said, yeah, but you seem to know all the street names. I said, don't you? He said, no. I wouldn't know one street from the other. He said, I plug it into the GPS, and the GPS says turn left, 100 metres turn right, 200 metres turn left, and he said, I'm there. I said, Eli, (laughs) you need to get a life. Man, don't grow up on a GPS. Don't grow up on a phone. Don't grow up letting other people do life. Man, slow down and look at the street sign and say, so I'm going down Shakespeare Avenue. Can I give you a challenge today? Learn some street names. Learn some neighbors' names. Learn what's going on in people's lives. Learn somebody's heartache. Learn why they are what they are. Poke a hole in the fence and spend a bit of time saying, I'm here. Rightio. I'll be out of here if I don't finish in a minute. The second thing is, what was the first one? First barrier? Time. Time. Second one is what I've called learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. American author and cultural commentator Neil Postman talks about the fact that in our current cultural climate we have what he calls a low information to action ratio does that make sense a low information to action ratio so here's all the information here's our action We've never had access to so much information and so much bad news while at the same time so little capacity to do anything about it. Did you sit there terrified at those five people sitting in a submersible craft without any oxygen until we heard that the thing had imploded and somehow that made us feel better, for goodness sake? For four days, we couldn't get off our mind. For four days, we couldn't do a thing about it. For four days, we're grieving for their wives and children and parents and friends, and we can't understand why people even do that sort of stuff. That's only just the tip of the iceberg. With the rise of the internet and the 24 hour news cycle and the smartphone, we've become conditioned to getting vast amounts of information knowing that we can't do a single thing about it. And we get desensitized, powerless, and even we can be moved by something without doing anything. I kind of get the feeling that's where we are a little bit in the church, you know, about mission. We've got this Missio Day. the heart of God. He wants us to go into all the world and we get moved by that. But it's so big. And when I watched that documentary yesterday about these mega churches and all the failings and the people that have been hurt and the cynicism in our world today and where the church is positioned in our cultural norm today, I look at it and think, God, where do we start And you know what God says, or Jesus says: start here, poke a hole in the fence. You didn't seriously think you were going to change the world, but you can sit with somebody, you can grieve with somebody, you can love somebody. One well, it's documentary yesterday talked about a Sudanese lad who came out here. And he was bullied in school and he was tormented because of the colour of his skin and the way he did life. And he got involved in all sorts of stuff and he got in trouble with the police and it went on and on. And one day somebody took him into a church and the person looked at him and just said, I want you to know we love you. And he said, it just melted me. For the first time in my life, Somebody outside my mother and father told me they loved me. Isn't that great? That preacher probably thought he was just preaching a normal message but he poked a hole on that guy's fence and brought him in. Or more importantly, he went to where the guy was. Lower your sights. Stop trying to think you can change the world. Think smaller. Do something. Don't get anaesthetised. Lastly, the time factor, the feeling of helplessness. But thirdly, and very briefly, the other barrier to mission is this expectation that life should be getting easier. (laughs) You know, I read an article during the week in Christianity Today and the article was called Move Over Sex and Drugs, Ease is the New Vice. The truth. true? Two years ago, <clears throat> in response to declining cereal sales, that's breakfast food, cereal, declining breakfast food sales in the US, they did some market research on it. And do you know what they discovered about <clears throat> ordinary breakfast food that has served generations of people? And I quote this... <clears throat> Breakfast cereal with the whole bother of bowl and spoon (laughs) involved far too much work. At least 40% of the millennials surveyed by Mintel for its report said cereal was an inconvenient breakfast choice because they had to clean up after eating it. Bless those poor souls. (laughs) You know what? Let's not be too hard on millennials. (laughs) Pathetic creatures they are. (laughs) No, I don't mean that. I mean that you and I have the same expectations. Listen, we've been part of a church that's been preaching a message that somehow if you follow Jesus, life's going to get a bit easier. And I don't understand that because Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily. That's not easy. That's not breakfast cereal stuff that has to wash a bowl and spoon. And I want to finish with this question. How on earth, if we're a generation of people that can't wash a bowl and spoon, how on earth are we going to understand the heart of God for people? because it will get messy poking holes in fences gets messy poking holes in fences means you've got to sit with people, poking holes in fences means you've got to go to people you'd never go to before, poking holes in fences means you've got to be patient and maybe you'll never see what you want to see but God says I want you there anyhow, do you get get what I'm saying and we can't wash a bowl and spoon take up your cross daily and follow me Follow me, and I'll make you fishes of men. If we try and save our lives, if we want it easier, we're actually going to lose them. But if we lose our lives, for his sake, we'll find it. There is nothing quite like losing your life, poking holes in fences, and sharing life, and sharing love, and the presence of Jesus with other people. Let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that at the very moment when Jesus knew that he would be leaving this earth, he called us to follow him. I often think about the way that <clears throat> Jesus did mission. He didn't set up a great big tent. He didn't have a 12-month plan. He didn't have goals and visions and strategies. He went up on a mountainside and he started to speak and he gave what we now know to be the Beatitudes. We know that as he walked and people came up to him who were sick and troubled and broken. And frightened, he stopped and he talked to them. He healed them. He went back to their house for lunch. He let a Samaritan woman get him a drink. He healed a blind man who just took off and had no idea what had happened except once he'd been blind and now he could see. Father, we want, to, we want to follow Jesus like that. That as we go, you'd make us the kind of people that other people actually want to be with. Not because we're whacking them over the head with the Bible every day, but there's something about the love of God And the salvation that he brings us, the new life that he gives us, the certainty of hope and love and faith that appeals. And so I thank you for this commission. Help us to go now and be part of this discipleship plan that, in the end, will reach men and women and boys and girls in every land and country and culture on the face of the earth. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.